Well, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here. Excited to have you with us as we're studying the book of New Testament book of First Peter together. And uh, we just started last Sunday and, and going in again today. Uh, hey, as we get going, um, did you, I don't know if you know about this, but many years ago, this is an interesting true story, by the way, there was a circus elephant named Bozo. I know Bozo the Clown, but I'd never heard of this elephant before. And uh, this elephant, there's a picture, this is actually Jumbo the elephant, but it's from the same time period, late 1800s. And uh, Bozo was really popular with the public in England, and especially children. Children would come, kind of rattle his cage, feed him peanuts, all that good stuff, you know. And, And everything was really good, and he was making a lot of money for the circus until one day his personality took a turn for the worst. And uh, suddenly, several times, he tried to kill his keeper when the children would come up with peanuts to the edge of the cage. Instead of uh, interacting with them, you know, and taking the peanuts, he would rear up and kind of charge at them as if he wanted to trample them to death. And it became obvious to the the leader of the circus that uh, this elephant uh, would need to be destroyed and put down. So the circus owner, he was kind of a greedy and crude man. He decided he was going to stage a public execution of Bozo the elephant. He figured if he's going to lose all the money from this elephant, he might as well make some money when he kills him. So he sold tickets. The circus tent was packed. They had uh, Bozo in a cage in the middle of the ring. And uh, they were getting ready that day to execute him. The, the ringmaster, the leader of the circus, an owner, he was down front and he was, you know, getting the crowd riled up and he had guys with high-powered rifles off to the side ready to execute this elephant. It was a little different day and age than today. I don't see that happening today, do you? No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go well for that circus guy. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was getting ready to go down and then suddenly this small man, short in stature, came out of the crowd uh, wearing a brown derby hat. And he walked up and uh, the manager, uh, uh, he said to him, he said, there's, there's, there's no, no need to do this, the man said, the guy with the hat. And the manager said, no, you don't, you don't understand. He just kind of brushed him aside. This, this is a bad elephant. It, he has to die before he kills somebody. No, you're wrong, insisted the man. Give me two minutes in the cage alone with him and I'll prove that you're wrong. The manager turned and he stared in amazement. He said, you'll be killed. I don't think so, said the man. Do I have your permission? And uh, the, the owner of the circus said, well, okay, but I mean, you need to sign this liability and you know, we can't be held liable for this. And so he does. And the guy goes in the cage and they shut it behind him. And the the leader of the circus explains to the huge crowd everything that's going on and what's happening. And he's kind of thinking to himself, even if the guy does die, that's like even better for business, right? Even better show for everybody. And so the guy gets in there and there's kind of a hush that fell over the crowd after the manager told everybody that was gonna happen. And like I said, the door to the cage was, was locked and locked behind him as he went in. And as he got in there at the sight of this stranger, the elephant reared up and he was about to charge him, take him out. He was just really angry. And then the man in the little brown hat started saying something kind of quietly and softly. And slowly and surely, the, the elephant kind of 
reared back down and became calm and a little docile and he kind of shook his head, you know, like this. And to the point that people who were there said you almost heard him like give this kind of pitiful cry, the elephant. Eventually the man walks up to the elephant and people are just totally quiet in amazement watching this go down. And he starts brushing his trunk and kind of petting him and people can't take it anymore. They just burst into to cheers and applause of what had happened. And the man comes out and uh, <clears throat> nobody could really understand what he was saying though. And as the guy comes out, he goes up uh, to the owner of the circus, to that manager. He said, he'll be all right now. He said, you see that he's an Indian elephant. And uh, none, none of you spoke Hindustani to him. So that's what I spoke to him. He, he's not a bad elephant. He was just homesick. And they were amazed at this guy. Well, as he, he left and then uh, he said, the guy looked, the owner of the circus looked down at the paper who had signed and it was uh, Rudyard Kipling, who was an author. He wrote the Jungle Book. He was born in India. And uh, I wonder, you know, as you think about that story, as you go through this life, this exile life, as we've titled our series, especially this last year, do you ever feel like Bozo the Elephant? Like you just want to rear up and get angry, lash out at people. You're tired of their junk. You're tired of maybe hearing things in our culture that you don't agree with, that you don't understand. You're just, you're just frustrated. Well, it could just be a symptom of homesickness if you're a follower of Jesus. You know, if you're a Christian, you are in exile after all. This isn't home. And, um, in fact, it might even explain, too, why some people treat Christians uh, maybe in a condescending or in kind of a, a cruel way. You know, it's, they haven't learned to speak the language of the Savior yet and to know his grace and his goodness. And so Peter writes this first letter to a group of Christians that are living in a place that isn't their home. And he knows that they're suffering in various ways. And Peter, of all people, he was a man acquainted with suffering. He suffered a lot on his own. And he knows as he's writing to them, it would be really easy for them to be like that elephant in their homesickness and just to begin lashing out at culture and lashing out at those who maybe persecute them or who come after them or who make life hard for them and but Peter knows really uh, that lashing out is really just a symptom of something something deeper it's a homesickness and uh, what they really need is a, a word from home somebody to give them hope and so as Peter begins his letter to first Peter called first Peter uh, to the churches in that area uh, he doesn't begin by writing about how difficult life is, you know, and, and recounting all the hard circumstances of life that they're going through. There's going to be plenty more time for that throughout the rest of his letter. He also doesn't begin by saying, here is now how you ought to live and conduct yourself living in this culture as an exile. No, there'll be plenty of time for that too. What Peter begins with is, is really kind of a word from home. He, he blesses the Lord. And he speaks a word of praise to who God is. He reminds them of home, of their God, of his grace and his mercy and for what's waiting them. And so that's where we're gonna start this morning 
As we dive, uh, we looked at the introduction to 1 Peter last Sunday. We're going to dive into verses 3 through 5 today. But, but even before we do, let me, uh, let me read our passage for this morning. Then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to unpack it together. Sound good? So if you got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter or an app, or you'll see it on the screen. I'm going to actually just begin in verse 1, because we're, just, we're, we're right at the beginning of the book anyway. We might as well read kind of the introduction again. It begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles, see there it is, the exiles, that's you and me and the people he's writing to, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Those are, those are welcome words for somebody in exile, isn't it? Somebody maybe who's anxious about everything going on in their life. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then look what he does in verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me pray. We're gonna unpack verses three through five. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that uh, this place is not home. Holy Spirit, would you uh, speak through me and uh, even to me as we teach your word and as we study it together? Um, Lord, uh, remind us that this place isn't home. Remind us of uh, the truth of your love and concern and care for us and of what you have waiting for us when we do get to go home. So Lord, uh, use me today, I pray, and teach us that we might change and be more like Jesus and leave with hope today, a living hope, like Peter writes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we unpack uh, verse verses three through five, uh, we start off, we, we see uh, Peter saying, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we bless the Lord, as we praise him, as we celebrate the salvation he's given us, uh, one of the things, you're not going to see it maybe right away, but you'll see it this morning, that all of this is because of God alone. We praise God because of God. We bless God because of God. All of this. And Peter's going to make it really clear here. This is because of God alone. In fact, look at verse 3 with me there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, when, are you like me? When you read this, you read, blessed be God. Does that seem strange to you? Do you ever, do you ever think, man, well, me bless God? God be blessed? Like, I thought he blesses me. Like, how in the world do I do anything to, to bless a holy and perfect and infinite and powerful God? Well, uh, for one, through obedience, right? That's why he had said in verse two, we're saved uh, to obedience in Jesus Christ. So we, we bless him by being obedient. But uh, to really understand, I think we need to look a little closer at this word, what it means uh, to bless the Lord. And we're going to look a little bit what it says in the Old Testament too. Blessed be that word 
Uh, it's one word in Greek, and it's the word uh, eulogetos. Does that sound like any word you know? Eulogy. That's where we get the word eulogy from. Now, over time, eulogies have been uh, equated with funerals, haven't they? Because what eulogy literally means, really means, eulogetos really means it means high praise, to give praise to something or someone. And we've come to equate a eulogy with a funeral simply because, I mean, how many funerals have you been to where they're like, dude, this guy was a piece of work. He, he was an incredible jerk. No, usually at a funeral, you're, I mean, even if it's true, usually at a funeral, you're remembering the, the best things about someone, right? You're, you're speaking praise of them and remembering good things about them, which really, in many ways, is a, is a healthy thing for us because it guards against bitterness. But eulogy simply means a, a, a giving of praise, giving high praise to someone or something. And that's the word here, blessed be, Peter's calling his readers to make a decided and a determined prayer of praise to God. This is a really, really good remedy for people maybe who are homesick or who are suffering to remember and give praise to God. It's a good thing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, he's saying praise God. You notice I keep saying that as opposed to just simply blessed be, uh, this was a common Jewish prayer. Blessed be God. Uh, maybe some common songs or psalms even come to your minds, like uh, Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. You maybe have sung that or you know that psalm. Psalm 26, 12, I, my foot stands on level ground, so in the great assembly, in, in the congregation of his people, I will bless the Lord. Psalm 34, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually on my lips. Psalm 103 is all about, I mean, it says it like multiple times. Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. I, I think that's what Peter has in mind here as he's writing to these people who are suffering. Bless the Lord at all times. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget what he's done. High praise be to God. I know you're suffering. I know life is hard. I know this isn't home, but, but don't forget what the Lord has done. Bless him. And Peter's introductory prayer, it sounds strikingly similar to this, uh, this Hebrew prayer called the Shemona Esra, or the 18 blessings, where they would say that, bless the Lord, blessed be God, 18 times in a prayer, uh, three times a day. And they would recount things that they would praise him for and bless him for. And, and Peter's saying, praise the Lord. And he's making, making clear that he's referring not just uh, to God as they understood him potentially in the Old Testament, but to God as, as father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying uh, the father and, and Jesus are, are one of the same essence. They're together. We're, we're blessing the Lord Jesus. Remember what he has done. Praise the Lord. Well, but why, Peter? Why should I praise him? Why should I bless him? What should I remember? Well, he goes on, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. So Peter says we should bless him, we should praise him because of something about his mercy. Well, uh, mercy uh, and grace are really kind of the same two words. Did you know that? Maybe you've heard that, uh, grace and mercy. You've heard those 
terms used together. And really, I've, I've often said they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So when Peter's saying, according to God's great mercy, he could have also equally said, according to his great grace, because grace, uh, by definition, when it's used in the Bible, is, is when I get what I don't deserve. So by God's grace, you've been saved, right? You don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be saved. By God's grace, you've been saved, not according to works so that you can't boast. You didn't earn it. It's totally unearned, undeserved. You get what you don't deserve by grace, right? Well, let's flip that around. Mercy is the exact opposite way of saying the same thing. It's when I don't get what I deserve. That's mercy. What do I deserve? Well, I deserve God's wrath. I deserve uh, to be punished for my sin in, in hell and, and suffer. And I, I deserve to be cast out from his presence. But in God's mercy, according to his mercy, he doesn't do that, does he? Nor does he do that according to his grace. And so Peter's saying, blessed be God according to his great mercy. I wonder how great is his mercy? How great is his grace? Well, again, Lamentations Chapter three, verses 22 and 23. Do you know those verses? Those would be good ones to commit to memory. Maybe even jot them down. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord. Then there's a fill in the blank here for you. Blank ceases. What's the fill in? Never. His mercies, blank, come to an end. What are they? What is it? Never. They, they never come to an end. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His, his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Every morning, there's new mercies for you. According to his great mercy, man, even in the midst of suffering then, and, and hear me, many of Peter's readers, especially those who would have been Jewish in background, probably knew that verse. They probably knew, you know, uh, that his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. And Peter's saying, hey, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, how great? Oh man, every morning there's new mercy. Even on the worst of days, there's, there's new mercies for me. His love, it never runs out, which means I can't screw it up which means that no matter how bad the circumstances get, he still cares, he still loves me. That, that's, that's so comforting for a homesick soul, for somebody who's not home. Blessed be the, Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Well, what has he done? He has caused us to be born again. That's what Peter writes. He's caused us to be born again. Have you... You ever thought about that? He's, he's caused us. That, remember, we said it's because of God alone. That ultimately, at the end of the day, Peter makes this point over and over uh, in this letter that, that God is the one and he alone who, who causes our salvation, who rescues us, who, who will rescue us, who sustains us through it all. It's him and it's, it's him alone. Paul tells Titus in his letter to him, he saved us, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, he saved us. He did. It's him alone. 
As Peter said, he caused us to be born again according to his own mercy. Paul even picks up on the same thing Peter says. It's according to his great mercy. It's, in other words, this is not what I deserve. It is totally not what I deserve in my sin. Nor is it what you deserve. It's according to his mercy that he saved us. James writes of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth in the word of truth, by the word of truth. He brought us forth, he saved us, he rescued us out of the pit of sin and of slavery. See, this is, this is God alone. Um, in fact, just a quick detour here. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. See, Paul, Paul then writes this, something very similar to what Peter writes. He writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says in chapter two of, of Ephesians, uh, he says, you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, just like everyone else. We deserved God's wrath. And then in verse four, but God, if you don't have that highlighted or underlined in your Bible, man, do it now. But God, being rich in mercy, not because of what I've done, right? But because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. See, uh, Paul even goes back and forth between those two words in the same sentence right there, mercy and grace, where I don't get what I deserve and I... Uh, I do get what I don't deserve. He, he's raised us up with him. He has. He's seated us with him in, in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see it? It's all God. It's him alone. That's what, that's what Peter is saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Well, uh, that, that term, by the way, we, we probably shouldn't skip too fast over that of being born again. Maybe you've heard that. You're, you haven't been part of church or, or you're watching and you're with us online. You're like, what's, I hear about that, but what's that mean? Well, it really comes from Jesus, whom Peter hung out with a lot, right? He heard Jesus teach often, maybe more than anyone else on the face of the earth in person. Peter spent years of his life with Jesus. And Jesus says to this guy named Nicodemus, Nicodemus, uh, if, if you really want to inherit the kingdom, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what is that? What do you mean I need to be born again? Do I, am I supposed to crawl back up into my mother's womb? That's not possible. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. You need to be born again spiritually. Just like you were born physically, you also need to be born spiritually and you need to, to turn to me in faith. And when, when, what the Bible teaches is when you do that, you come to faith, God himself, Jesus himself, himself likens it to receiving a brand new life as if you were born again. It's the start of a new eternal life. 
And that's what Peter's saying is that when you trust Jesus, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. He's given us new life. And we're just at the beginning of it because <laughs> it's eternal. That's why we'll see it next week. He says, even if you have to suffer for a little while, this is just, it's going to get so much better. He's caused us to be born again. That's what that means, to, to come to faith, to get new life, to, to trust Jesus. That's what born again means, to become a Christian. And, and when we become a Christian, when we're born again, we're born again to a living hope, Peter says. In other words, because of God alone, we have hope that's alive. Hope that's alive, that's living by the way, have you noticed this, just as we're teaching here, we're just kind of going phrase by phrase, word by word, going through the text and what does it say? What does it mean? You know, you don't, you don't have to be a, a biblical scholar or somebody up on stage preaching to do that. You can do that on your own. In fact, just on the, the front page of your bulletin today and for the next couple of weeks is just going to be the text of whatever we're preaching. And, and you might take it and just start to circle and mark some things up and, and just notice things that the text actually says. We want to hear from God's word, right? And so I'm not doing anything here where it's nothing that you couldn't do on your own as you sit down and study and just spend time, slow down through God's word. See, because of God alone, we have hope that's alive. That's what a living hope is. And when you're homesick, you need hope, don't you? You need hope. When life is hard, you need, you need hope. Well, what is hope? A lot of times we use the word hope, we think of it like wishful thinking. You know, like, oh, I hope that happens. I hope they win. I hope they lose. Um, I, I hope, I hope, I hope. But, but hope in the Bible isn't wishful thinking. It's actually confident assurance. It's a confident certainty of something that absolutely will happen. That's what it refers to when, when the term hope is used in the New Testament. Hope is a, a confident assurance. It's, it's, it's not just wishful thinking. It's, it's my mind is set on what is going to happen. And here, by saying that it's a living hope, what, what Peter's saying is that, that the hope that we have, the confident assurance we have, isn't like the hope that so many people in our world, that kind of wishful thinking hope that's just based on things that uh, are really kind of dead. No, this is a hope that's living. He says it's according to and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, that living hope. As it's certain, it's real, it's sure, as opposed to, to maybe the deceptive or false or empty hope that the world offers. Paul talks about that hope in Romans chapter 8. He says, uh, chapter 8, verses 23 through 25, uh, not only the creation, we ourselves who are the first fruits, first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoptions of the Son, the redemption of our bodies. He says this, for in this hope, because of what God has done, we were saved. Now hope that's seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. First Thessalonians, he says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope, no assurance of, of what's coming. This hope is the eager, confident expectation of life to come. 
So again, let's just review where have we been here, right? Peter says, blessed be God, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. It's, it's his mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. And he's given us new life. He's caused us to be born again to a hope that's living. Well, how do I know it's living? How do I know that, that what, what God has promised for me is gonna happen? Well, he says, um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Jesus' resurrection, that's the proof. I mean, if Jesus is alive, the same power that raised him from the dead will raise you, Paul writes. And that same power is with you day to day, sustaining you, helping you, guarding you. That's why Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Like that's the basis of, of our hope. And it's a living hope because Jesus himself is alive. See, because of God alone, then we have hope that is alive. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your week's gonna be like. I don't know what your 2020 was like. Who knows what 2021's gonna be like? You know, it started off with a bang last week. But, but what I do know is that in the end, God has a promise for us that is a confident assurance of new life. And he has things waiting for you and waiting for me if you've trusted him. Well, let's just look at some of those things because here's what he says. We have a hope that's alive and cannot and, and it will not fail. So he says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says what we've been born again to. Look at verse four to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. To an inheritance as well, to, to living open to an inheritance. I wonder, do you have an inheritance waiting for you? My inheritance from my dad was a snowblower. <laughs> I mean, that it wasn't... Uh, Super wealthy guy. I always just kind of joke about that. Like that was that was one of, that was my inheritance. I don't have to shovel snow anymore. I'll take it. It's pretty good. What is it for you? You know what? God promises something a whole lot better than that. In fact, the 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 the, the promise that He leaves for you, the inheritance He leaves for you as His child, isn't a lousy snowblower. It's something that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. There, there's something waiting for you. You don't get your inheritance now, you get it later. But what Peter's saying is, is keep your eyes forward. There's something better coming. No matter how awful this week might be, no matter how awful this last week was, there, there's something better waiting for you. And unlike the things that maybe you had looked forward to that, uh, that perished, that 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 just didn't last, or unlike the things that, that maybe you were looking forward to, but that uh, somebody else really messed up. When you went out to dinner last week and the food arrived and there was a hair in it and it was defiled, and you're like, oh, I was looking forward to that meal all week, and now I can't look at it. Like maybe something that you were looking forward to, but that as you got closer to it, it looked really cool from, the, from a ways out, but as you got closer, it just kind of faded and you realized that, that wasn't all that fulfilling like I thought it would be. Unlike all of those things, you have something waiting for you that is none of those things. It's not going to perish. It's not going to be defiled. It's not going to fade. And it's waiting for you if you've trusted Jesus. 
See, see, Peter's writing to some people who are homesick, who are exiles, who aren't home. How are they going to make it through? Well, well, Peter says, listen, turn your eyes on Christ and you will make it through. Now, uh, we know Peter was a good preacher, right? From Acts chapter 3 and other places in the book of Acts. And um, I know guys who preach you, they can't sleep at night until like their outline, every word has to be alliterated. Like it's got to start with the same letter or they all have to rhyme or something like that. They probably get it from Peter because these words that he uses here, when, when he's speaking it to them, he would have said it to them in a way they remember. In, in Greek, every one of these words all start with the same letter and end with the same syllable. They all start with an A and they end with uh, the syllable ton. I'm not going to bore you with the names of those words. But imperishable, it's just, it's, it's not going to die. It's not going to decay. Undefiled, it's, it's not going to become unclean or impure, unfading. It's, it's not going to rust out over time. See, uh, Peter, a common theme again for him in this whole book is looking forward with expectation to the inheritance that we have ahead. And again, I think this is probably influenced in large part to how often he hung out with Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus spoke about the same thing many times. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he said, do not lay up for yourselves, Jesus said, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You know, things that are imperishable and that are, that are perishable, that do get defiled, that do fade. He says, no, uh, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, dis- rust, rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Peter's reminding them of their inheritance because he knows as, as they turn their eyes, not just on this earth where they're exiles, but on what's waiting for them, their heart is gonna follow because he had heard Jesus say it. And the same for us, right? If you have your eyes on all the chaos in our world all the time and not on the inheritance that's waiting for you that's, imperishable, that's undefiled, that's unfading. When, when you read the news of, of crazy things happening in our country or around the world or culturally or whatever else, your heart's going to follow all those things you focus on. And guess what? Your life's going to become miserable and everything's going to feel perishing and everything's going to feel defiled and everything's going to feel like it's just fading and worthless. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Turn your eyes to where the treasure is, to Jesus, to the inheritance he has for you. And that will result in you having hope. That's what you need. That's what you need if you're homesick. Focus on home. See, uh, you could read Ephesians chapter one this week where Paul says almost the exact same things Peter says in these two, three verses, but he, he says it over about 10 verses in chapter one of Ephesians. And at the end of that, in verse 14, he says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it according to the grace of his glory. Peter says says it like this in verse five. Paul says it's the the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says it's, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, your your inheritance is being guarded, but not only that, you are being guarded by God's power 
that term guarded, it was often used in military context. And, and the word uh, from, from a ton of other literature of this era, that, that word, we know that it can be used to mean uh, to guard something, and it's used in the Bible this way as well, to guard something to keep it from escaping, or to guard something to keep it from being attacked. It's both and. So in a sense, God, by the power of his spirit, is guarding you, one, to keep you from escaping if you've trusted him, but also guarding you to keep you uh, safe under attack. Both, both and, both of those things. And this is because God cares about you. That's why Peter will say later in chapter five, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He guards you by his power. You know, often, I don't know about you, but I wonder sometimes, either as I'm going through something or heading into something, or even as I look at maybe what the Bible says the future will likely be like in terms of the suffering of his people, of God's people, I wonder, well, will I really have what it takes to endure that? Well, I will. Do you know why? Because I'm being guarded through faith by God's power It's God alone, not me. (laughs) He will guard me. He is guarding me. He has guarded me. The peace of God, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, right? Will will guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, through faith. That's what Peter says. You notice there's kind of this, this twofold issue here of God's power and your faith and my faith. Well, which one is it, Josh? How does God guard us? Well, he does it by his power, through your faith. The, the two of those things are, are inseparable. See, the, the, and again, I think that's why Peter is pointing people to bless the Lord, to turn their sights there, to turn their sights on their inheritance, to increase their faith, because as their faith increases, uh, God's power works through them and guards them and guards you and guards me. Before we close here, the other thing just to notice uh, in this whole passage in verses three through five, notice how when Peter speaks of our salvation and of our hope, he talks about it past, present, and future. So in other words, there's nothing to fear like that, well, maybe someday God's mercies are gonna run out. No, they never end. Do, Do you see the past in verse three? He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, well, that's good, but what if I don't make it through today? Well, don't worry, because uh, he, you are being guarded, present, right now, through faith. Okay, but what about tomorrow, Josh? Will I make it through tomorrow? Yeah, because uh, he's guarding you uh, through faith for future, for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the end. He's guarding you for that. It's, it's past, it's present, it's future. He's never gonna give up on you. See, God alone, God alone has saved you. And he's giving you a hope that's alive that cannot and will not ever fail. Friends, as we uh, wrap up this morning, you have an inheritance that will never fade. And God is working his power through your faith to guard you until you receive it. It, But but where is your focus? Where is your faith? Maybe that's the big takeaway for you today. 
Is your faith on the things of this earth or is it on Jesus Christ? Is it on that thing that is imperishable, undefiled, unfailing, that's kept for you in heaven? And that hope then that you have is a living certainty because God keeps all his promises. It's alive, it's not based on things that are false or that are fading or that are lies or that are gonna wear out and die over time. No, no, no. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus and it's living just as sure as he lives. So can and so does and so should your hope and mine. So I'm gonna pray. Our worship team is gonna come lead us. We're gonna sing about the fact that we can have hope because Jesus is alive and that we can face tomorrow. We're gonna make it. But, but where will your focus be this week? Take some time and praise and bless the Lord. Let's pray. 